Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today, we have a very special guest in mobile home park operator, Roger King, founder of Kings Unlimited LLC. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Roger King oversees a diverse portfolio of of real estate valued at over $50 million. Uh, His portfolio is located uh, across 13 states around the United States, and he has a strong emphasis on mobile home communities scattered across eight of those 13 states. Roger, excited to uh, welcome you to the show. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Would you mind uh, starting out by telling us a little about your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing communities? Sure. Well, you know, like many investors, you start somewhere else. And I started as a musician and got out of music college, wanted to invest, started investing in real estate because I saw the uh, the benefits to uh, certain lifestyle uh, attributes that I wanted to uh, develop over my career. Started in Orlando, where you're based. And then I, you know, moved to California got involved in some real estate projects out there and some companies. And then when the crash hit, losing everything, I started my own company, wholesaling and then fixing and flipping and then private lending and you know building some homes. And around 2015, I started to really see that the fix and flip market and you know the, the luxury home market that I was you know also focused on building homes we were slowing down things were taking a lot longer and i you know i could see the writing on the wall this there's a recession about to hit any day now what can i invest in next you know what can i jump into that's also going to do better in a downturn in the economy and obviously mobile home parks that became a major focus it did take me a while to pivot get my head around everything. But in 2018, I had some partners and we started, you know, we bought our first park in April of 2018 outside of Oklahoma. And since then, we've bought uh, 15 parks. Uh, we exited that first park last year. I don't think we did very well on it, but, you know, we still profited $500,000 after five years. Yeah. So a solid base hit after, you know, really sort of doing a lot of dumb things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is me, you know, I'm an experienced investor. My other partners, they're experienced investors, and we still made just some stupid mistakes. But, you know, it's part of the path, right? It happens. Yeah. We've all, you know, been there and we're excited to kind of dig into those so we can learn yeah. from those mistakes. Uh, yeah. But tell us about your current living situation. You live in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. And we yeah. were talking before we started recording here. Maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, the why behind your living in Puerto Rico. Well, 
I mean, the why is, I don't know if your viewers can see my screen behind me. And if not, we can insert some B-roll from my back patio. I live on the water. I grew up in the Sarasota area of Florida, a little south of Sarasota, near the water. And I always loved the water. But living in Southern California and Las Vegas for a few years, I really missed living near the water. And I have a bunch of friends that have moved down here. There's obviously some major tax advantages uh, to living here. And I have the ocean right behind me, uh, literally 40 feet from my back patio. And I just, I realized that there's such a healing component to being this close to the water. You know, my dog and I, Daisy, we go to the beach a couple times a week. And it's like the complete picture for me. I've always wanted to live on the water. I've got a bunch of friends that live here and there's some major tax advantages. And in no particular order on any particular day, I would say they all sort of, you know, jump back and forth with one another, but it's, it's, it's paradise. And I love that. I, I absolutely I love live the, here. Yeah. The lifestyle investor, right? Yeah. The lifestyle yeah. investing and, and what right. matters most. Right. And I was just yes. finishing uh, poor Charlie's almanac with Charlie Munger. <laughs> you know, they just did yeah. like a, a new rendition of that. And he's talking about like, you know, to, to prioritize like what your purpose is, right? The purpose mm-hmm. is not to just have all this money, right? The purpose is yeah. to have time, have time freedom and, yeah. and be diligent about that. And, and I think I just love that. So I love that you're doing the same yeah. thing. Talk about those yeah. tax benefits, man. Everybody has this <sighs> little trick up their sleeve. You know, mm-hmm. what's the tax benefits of living in Puerto Rico for real estate investors like yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, so without going into the minutia, because there's a lot of different things, right? The overarching view of it is if you can create a company that manages and exports a service back into the United States or even Spain or Colombia, you can structure it so that that company gets paid from those various investments. And so my Puerto Rico LLC receives money from the investments that I've set up in the States. And as a manager, I have to manage those investments. And so that's my business that I've exported. And so that money comes into me and that's my income, personal Roger King income. And that then is taxed at a certain rate. And if you make over $3 million a year taxable income, you pay 4% what I sort of describe as state and federal. And if you make under $3 million, you're earning or you're paying 2% state and federal. I mean, it's not technically state and federal, but that's the tax rate for your all of your taxes. Now there are other fees you have to pay throughout the year. You have to donate some money to uh, local charities. Um, I believe that's $10,000 a year. Some of the prices are higher here. You know, I bought a, a Jeep because I thought having a really high tire uh, <laughs> when it floods during the hurricanes that it would, you know, buy a Jeep. I don't need to have a luxury car. There's a lot of potholes. You know, I've, I've had few luxury cars and, you know, dinged them up pretty bad on potholes. So I thought a Jeep where I normally would pay $39,000 in the States, I paid about 62 for it. So there's an import tax that does uh, impact you know, your, your actual bottom dollar, uh, your bottom line. But to me, you know, if I'm paying, you know, 2% on my state and federal, I think I'm doing great. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder how long it's going to take me to pay off my, you know, my condo here. You know, there's no capital gains tax. Um, a lot of the crypto crowd, they moved down here and reorganized everything so that their assets were here in Puerto Rico. Then they would sell those assets, you know, just get liquid on some of their crypto holdings. And that was capital gain tax free. Wow. So sometimes there's some uh, property tax incentives. If you buy a property here, uh, one place I looked at, there was no property tax for five years. So there's a lot of benefit. And then again, there's the sun and, you know, the moon. And I've never taken this many photos of sunsets before. (laughs) You know, I'm just, I'm amazed. But, you know, you talk about that lifestyle and, hey, it's taken me a long time to get here. I I just turned 56 uh, a month ago and I've been here for about a year and a half. So what, 50, 55, it's doable. It's not always immediate. Right. Sure. But that was always a focus of mine is how can I live because of my real estate investing? And mobile home parks have definitely helped in that regard. Let's circle back and talk mobile home parks. 15 mobile home parks. Your first one is outside of Oklahoma. You know, yeah. what in the beginning got you interested? How'd you get educated on mobile home parks, you know, as an asset class? I definitely talked to a lot of people, certainly in Southern California, where I was living at the time. I talked to some people down in the San Diego real estate investor clubs. There's a, gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Joe, I think he's, gosh, I haven't talked to him in years. Joe was talking with me for you know a bunch of different times about how he'd bought into a bunch of uh, mobile home communities and how great they were. And I thought that's, you know, someday that's where I'm going to going to get into because I think it's a really great asset class for the revenue that's generated when the economy tanks. Uh, I think that these these parks can fill up faster than an apartment complex. Historically speaking, they have, you know, historically speaking, they've done better than multifamily, you know, and I know that a lot of, a, a lot of what I had gone through was just really understanding the model, the business model. And then I knew with my history and with the right partners that we could jump in, you know, collectively figure it all out, maybe not as fast as uh, or as uh, sharp as we were thinking we were, but we knew that we could figure it out whatever happened. And we did, obviously. Uh, I think it was a really good first park. I don't know that I would buy something so far away from the city center. You know, we learned that the MSA was a critical factor when you're looking, even doing due diligence, you know, how far away is it from a major metropolitan, uh, you know, an MSA, what, or, you know, a, a minor metropolitan area. And figuring out those parameters was really helpful prior to say- going into it. Yeah. What would you say, Roger, are those parameters? Like, obviously, like, you know, purchasing one near an MSA, but is there like, mm-hmm. how do you know a good MSA versus a not good MSA? Or or was this park outside of Oklahoma, you know, kind of very rural, kind of like, you know, yeah. out in the middle of nowhere? It was, it was. And it's a, it's not a bad place by any stretch. It's just the amount of people looking for a place to live was so constricted because of the distance from Oklahoma City. Okay. So I had to, you know, that was that was one of our big problems. We bought it 
I think that how far away these are the numbers from, from OKC. If you remember, like how far of a drive would it be away? 90 minutes. Oh, 90 minutes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, a nice little town, but we didn't have the turnover. You know, if, if somebody moved out, it would take weeks, if not months to rent that same unit. Mm. And we bought the park with, I think it was, it was 142 spaces mm. and only half of the spaces were full. So we, we were thinking, hey, we're just going to manage it better and we're going to fill in those other 70 spaces or whatever. Sure. And, you know, we're going to, you know, quadruple our blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and it just didn't happen all because of our distance from Oklahoma City. There just wasn't enough influx of potential tenants. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing huge, that with us. Huge mistake. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, you know, what other hurdles or, or what do you think is like the toughest hurdle to overcome in mobile home park investing? The toughest hurdle, I would say right now, and I believe it's changed. I would say if you're buying a park and your intention is to fix it up, reposition it uh, like like the majority of our work is contractors right now. Pricing uh, materials is just when we first started, you know, we were buying new homes for $28,000. And that same home now I think is 45, yeah. maybe 48,000, you know, and how do you, how do you tweak that budget? You know, so the margins have gotten a lot smaller, but I'd say if you're hiring contractors, you know, finding the, the right people is a really difficult process right now. That may change, but you know, I don't, I don't see it changing as in the way we needed to, uh, or certainly not as fast as we needed to. And I'd say the other uh, thing is, um, if your plan is to sell the homes to an end user and you have a tenant-owned home and you're just collecting the lot rent, getting them qualified has been more difficult. So then there becomes a kind of a seller financing aspect to how do you hold it? So mm -hmm. if you spend twenty five or thirty thousand to fix it up, and you can only get two or three or four thousand as a deposit down payment, you know, then you're still upside down with some of your cash. So that's a that's something to really consider. That's a really good point. I don't think this is talked about enough. Is the capex right? It's a capex yeah. intensive business. You know, like we own yeah. some self storage facilities. And it's very minimal capex, right? The buildings are there. It's just you know metal sheet metal, you know buildings. Yeah. But you know we were looking at our our KPI dashboard, and on some of our communities this month, you know they cash flowed eight grand, but we had twenty grand in capex, you know because a, a wholesaler came in and was trying to buy this home from one of our tenants that was selling. So then we had to come in and and buy that home from the tenant before the wholesaler you know bought it and moved it out. So, yeah. you know, we'll recoup that. But like you're saying, you know, we, we spent 20 grand cash to buy that home and now yeah. we're going to sell it, you know, but not for 20 grand cash, right? It'll be some sort of like rent to own type of arrangement. So, yeah, I think that's not talked about enough. So thank you for touching yeah. on that. That's important. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're in it, you know it. My business partner, Brandon, he, you know, he talks to a, a lot of other people about it that are, you know, CEOs of people that own uh, companies that own you know, 4,000, you know, spaces and they're all dealing with the same stuff. How do you rent it out? You know, getting it marketed, Facebook marketplaces are really challenging area 
to you know post a, a, a vacant home for rent or for sale because they don't they don't want you to do it for some reason. I mean, it's just well, it's, a really it's the scalability of it, and and that's another great point. Right. You know, yeah. if you can't have one person posting 12 homes in 12 different states right. on Facebook Marketplace or your, yeah. your account gets flagged and they shut you down. Yeah. So you yeah. got to, you know, what we did is we have our on-site managers, you know, do the postings, but then you're dependent upon them to respond to people in a timely fashion, to actually attend the showings. So you you yeah. bring up some really good points. Yeah, Roger. I, yeah. I agree. Those are some hurdles. Thanks. Let's talk about the last few years. You know, rates are high. How have you yeah. guys pivoted around interest rates being higher and have you been able to, to buy some, some new acquisitions? Oh, yeah. I think we were fortunate enough to have built some relationship with our lenders so they knew you know, our ability to execute, to turn the projects uh, around. And I think that that's an important part of it. I would also say you know, it's not been an easy road these last two years with lenders. Uh, we had a lender that we were working on refinancing for four for eight months, and then they said, "You know, hey, you're you're you were about three weeks away," and they took it back to their board, and the board said, "We're not lending anything anymore." Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, and so start the process over. We had bought some owner financing properties that way, and so the the sellers were like, "Hey, you had three years to get this thing refinanced," and we're like, "Look, we've been trying." So some unhappy moments there, some stressful moments, some frustrating moments. It's like, guys, look, if your board is even remotely thinking that you're not going to be lending, please give us notice. Please. Yeah. Just, I mean, common courtesy. So I think that the pivot really has has been more not into buying or reflecting on, you know, operations per se. I think it's been you know, a mental thing where we just have to get more resilient. We have to realize that it's not going to go as fast as the lenders telling us. And they're going to ask for an Alta survey the last week before you're supposed to close, even though you've got 15 emails from the last four months saying, no, we don't need an Alta survey. Yeah. <laughs> right. Jeez. So I think that resilience and just being prepared for the unexpected is a really critical emotional tool that we have to develop. And we're, I think we've really, you know, Brandon and I talk about it. How do we see the world right now? It's just, mm -hmm. things are challenging. So yeah. that's not going away. We have to get stronger. And I would urge, and you how know, you guys, anybody. Yeah. How, how yeah. would you say specifically you guys did that on the last two acquisitions? Like, have you bought anything in the last year? Yeah, we bought, we bought something. I think we closed the day before Thanksgiving over in Chicago. And that's the example of the Alta survey. We got very frustrated, both at the seller and at the um, the lender. And guys, you can't just keep stacking these things on or twisting what you'd agreed to. So I, I think it's just, there's a bit of a callus that gets developed initially. And Roger, uh, you know, and yeah. I guess like my question is I'm more sorry. about like the like the dynamics of the deal, the numbers on the deal, you know, are is your, if your interest rate is eight and a half percent on the debt, you know, are you getting the seller to hold a second note or are these seller finance deals or, you know, are these value add deals? How are you getting deals yeah. to pencil out with rates yeah. being so high? Yeah, I think that's more, you know, more a factor of we have to find a shorter term loan 
that will recast in a few years. So it may be an interest-only period. Hmm. And they're going to want to hold some capital back. So we may need to deposit. We've, we've had to deposit capital with the bank so that they could do a draw payment to us so that they could feel more comfortable. And again, that's kind of a last minute thing that they sprung on us. So we just realize, you know, there's nothing we can really do in this climate when rates are that high. We're just going to have to suck it up. In terms of our diligence, I think on our first park, we had an offer for 3.7 million and we'd bought it for 1.5, four years before. And, and Brandon and I were like, you know what, let's, let's wait till it gets to 400 or to 4 million, then we'll sell it. And, and I realized, you know, gosh, we just, we got our greed glands going because we ended up selling it for 2.5. And had we taken that offer for 3.7, it's a different world. It's a different project, but I would say, Adjusting your, you know, during your due diligence phase, adjusting your targets. If you reach a target and you're one of those targets is I want to exit this so I can take it in, you know, 1031 it into another property. Mm-hmm. You know, let's really evaluate if we if we hit the target, do we stay or yeah. can we continue to improve it? Sure. And I, I think we missed the ball. So that's part yeah. of it, too. I'm sure a lot of sellers feel that exact same way, right? Like, sure. you know, back in 2021, 2022, mm-hmm. it was it was the prime time, right? That was the yeah. peak. And, you know, we were selling some self-storage and it was the same thing. You know, we we kind of missed that peak by you right. know, uh, by a year. <laughs> but, but tell yeah. me, Roger, what is your mobile home park investing strategy and maybe how has it changed from that first deal outside of Oklahoma City? You know, are you buying deep value add, 50% yeah. vacant proje- projects? Are you buying more stabilized stuff? You're buying anything you can get your hands on? What does that strategy yeah. look like and why? Yeah, it, it was the, you know, the the buy the 50% and just try to do everything. And the first park, we did that. The second park, it was probably uh, 65% occupied. And that has actually turned out to be probably our best park so far that we bought six months later in Kentucky. And we have bought a bunch of the small ones, you know, the 10 or 15, and those just become too management intensive. And when you can't find a good manager, uh, you know, it becomes a really thorny situation. So we've, you know, continued to reassess, you know, how are we buying these things. And we no longer want to buy the, you know, those, those properties that need a heavy lift. We just, we don't want to spend our time doing that anymore. We want to have 70%, you know, we actually last year, Brandon and I went through this whole process of what do we want to do next, right? What is our criteria next? And we wrote it all down and we've like, okay, does this park fall into our criteria? Yes. Except for this. Okay, so why spend our time? It doesn't make sense anymore. So I think we're getting much more discerning with that experience, with those experiences. You know, we we've got a good park, we've had a not so good park, we've had some small parks, we've had some big parks. And so through our own trial and error and our experiences and our self-evaluation, I'd say that we've become more discerning on do we want this particular thing? And what does it look like to get out? Mm. Because both Brandon and I love the idea of holding these things forever, but it may not make 
economic sense, economical sense, if you know somebody's offering us two and a half times more than what we paid, you know, because yeah, the market's yeah, crushing it. Yeah, because what know? is it going to take? You know, fifteen years in cash flow to hit the, right. the proceeds that you could get. You know, now exactly. To sell? It's a yeah. good it's a good exercise to go through. Hey, how, how many years of cash flow is this if I sold today? You know, like right. that's a game changer. So that's interesting. It so is yeah, a game what, changer. Yeah. What is that deal criteria for you guys right now? Is it oh man, I haven't looked at that list, but I, I let's do this. Let's put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, we could do that. Is that okay. The deal criteria in the show notes. <laughs> like ours is above 50 lots, public yep. utilities. Within forty minutes of a of an MSA, yeah, you know, that has at least fifty thousand, and you know we like what what kind of you circled on is like something around sixty. Yeah. It has to be at least sixty percent occupied, you know. So it's cash yeah. flow in day one. Yes. So any listeners out there, if you find yeah. a deal like that, send it to me before you send it to Roger, okay? <laughs> or send it to us. <laughs> send it to both of us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? Totally. So I think that I think that. You know, and I know that a lot of your listeners, viewers, listeners are passive investors in this or wanting to be passive investors. And I would say that if you're looking at mobile home parks as an investment vehicle for, you know, you're a doctor or whatever, and you, your 401k or your, you know, self-directed IRA wants a, to participate in this, I think that you need to partner with people that have already gone through a bunch of these growing pains. Because there's a lot of people that have been around for a year and a half and they look really great on camera, but they haven't gone through some of the challenges that uh, a lot of these longer term investors have. You know, I mean, I started in 1996 as a real estate investor. You know, I know, Andrew, you've been around for a long time as well. I don't even know how long. How long has it been? Yeah, since 2011. Is yeah. when I got into like single family stuff, but mobile home yeah. parks was 2016. Yeah. So even longer than me. And I honor that. And I think that that alone really helps a uh, an investor know that while nothing is guaranteed, it mitigates the risks that, uh, that are inherent in every investment. And I think it's yeah. super critical. So I, I honor... I honor this your is, time and and your uh, this is your pain random. suffered. <laughs> yeah, no, this is completely random. But my wife and I just started watching this NASCAR show, right? And uh, <laughs> okay. there's this guy named Denny Hamlin, and he's he's pretty good, right? Yeah. But he was in the front at this race. I forget where it was, but he was in the very front, and things were getting choppy up there, right? Like he's a veteran guy. He's got like over. I want to say he's got over 50 wins, right? And he, wow. he was in the very front and he, and he knew that like for the NASCAR series that like he couldn't crash. He needed the points by finishing. Mm. So he yeah. took, he, he literally went to the side, went all the way to the back and, and a little while later, big crash happened. So it's like that spidey sense to know, right. Hey, this guy has experience. He knows when things are choppy up there to know, to get, get out. You know, I think that is what you're pointing at here. Experience matters. Yeah. If you've been in a lot of deals, you've been in a lot of parks, you know, you'll know when to sell one because you just get a spidey sense that something's off here, that the, yeah. you know, the people that we're getting that are applying are, are not the quality we're hoping for. There's just a variety right. of, you know, that we're not getting enough leads off of our marketing. If something's yeah. going on here, it's probably a good time to kind of come to the back and let things settle. So yeah. that was a good, a yeah. good, good point there. What else, yeah. if you were going to invest passively into a mobile home park investment fund or a syndication what else would you want to know? 
Like what mm. matters most as a passive investor? What a great question. I think aside, you know, next, if you, if the experience is one aspect of the, um, the, the, you know, the uh, general partners, you know, I think a limited partner, if we're talking about a syndication has to understand what the ethics are of that general partner. Is this the kind of guy that is, or gal, that's going to not do what they have to do to take care of you? Your money is on the line. And somebody's degree of ethics is such a criteria for me that if there's a hint, you know, through a conversation or, you know, obviously Google searches, background searches, which are all things that everybody needs to be you know, uh, participating at, yeah. in, you know, man, if, if there's a hint and if that can't be explained and if there is some weird spidey sense in the, you know, in your gut, when you're talking to this person, just walk away because I think you, you're listening to the right thing when you, when you walk away, because you, there's something amiss. You want to, obviously verify if any of these things are true because the, you know, the internet sucks uh, in large part. But I think that the ethics are hypercritical for anybody's decision making totally. when they are, when they're looking at, because they could have all the experience, but if they don't care about, you know, you and your hundred thousand or 200,000, man, you, you know, you're in trouble, bad yeah. news, but potentially, right. Totally. Uh, so I think that that's a really important thing for passive investors to really figure out. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you're going through that process and, you know, the word passive investor, I don't think when you're going through due diligence that that's passive at all. I think that's your your participation and it may be limited to just those types of things when you're about to invest. I don't think that that's a passive investor, Right. Sure. I, and it's not that I have a problem with the word passive investor, but I want people to understand that passive investing isn't fully passive. It isn't just, I hope, here's my money, good luck. You know, it's, am I making the right decisions? Am I raking, making the right choices by asking the right questions? Yeah, there's a responsibility there to like do your due diligence ahead yeah. of time, just like we do yeah. before we buy a park to right. make sure, hey, am I getting what I think I'm, I'm getting out of this? So that's a, that's a great yeah. point. Roger, what mistakes in mobile home park investing have you made that we could learn from? I mean, you mentioned, you know, buy, buying too far away from an MSA. You know, if you yeah. had to put together two or three more, just real yeah. quick, bite-sized mistakes that we could walk away with, what would those be? Sure. Sewer lagoons. Don't buy a park with a sewer lagoon. Uh, unless, of course, you have it budgeted that you're going to tie into the city, sewer and water. I would say if you're joint venturing with somebody... Uh, you want to make sure that your roles and responsibilities are already lined up. And if there's a problem and somebody isn't meeting those responsibilities, what action can be taken on behalf of you or the other partners? I think that that is critical. I would say that having a property manager that is really overseen for the first six months like hard, not not hard in the, the approach to them, but just really following up and making sure that, look, your responsibility is to rent or sell these. And if that's not the top of your list because you're too busy with other things like, you know, street cleaning, then you're the wrong person. I need to have income. 
So that, you know, the, the specifics for the manager has to get ironed out, you know, day negative 10, right? 10 days prior to closing on the park. I would say that's it for now. <laughs> no, those are great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for sharing those. With sure. us. I think those yeah. are awesome. I, I, I would have to say just to piggyback on that, that yeah. the on-site manager can make or break a deal. Like if you have a yeah. good on-site manager, it literally will be 50% less headaches, you know, because they will, you know, just think about solutions instead of just, you know, throwing problems your way. So that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, Roger, yeah. what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Oh, it's, uh, I bought it in 1994 and they're all brand new units and it's a uh, 500 spaces and it's got, you know, <laughs> a spa. Um, and it's in a uh, wealthy area in Malibu. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's good. Would it be on city utilities? You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. City utilities. Right. Because it just reduces your costs. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where I would like. Cool. What does the the future of mobile home park investing look like? You know, obviously mm. rates are high right now. What do you think is mm -hmm. coming in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, I think that the, you know, the prices are going to start to increase because the interest rates are going to drop. I don't think it's going to happen this quarter. And I don't think it's going to be a significant drop or drops this year. Maybe a full point by the end of the year, probably three quarters. You know, it seems reasonable. They're trying to do the soft landing thing. So if they did a three-quarter drop, man, that that's just gonna that's gonna explode the, the prices. Yeah. 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 So so what does that mean? That means that people that are sitting in cash right now have a really great opportunity to find the right operator. And if they're not the operator, uh, if they're, you know, like your, your listeners are looking for the right operator, looking for the right areas, maybe they want to have it within a, an hour or two hour drive from where they live. So they feel they can, you know, just drive by on some, you know, once a, once a quarter or whatever. Some of my investors like to know that they can do that. And, you know, obviously you have to put ground rules on that process, sure. but I would say, look, you know, Find out what's most important to you in a mobile home park. Mobile home communities are changing. So find out what's most important. You need to have mostly, you know, 6% preferred return and 8% preferred return. What's your targeted, you know, IRR? What's your exit strategy? How many times have your general partners done this? Those are all the criteria and more, obviously. Uh, that you want to start pondering by asking yourself, what's most important? Okay, what else is most important? Okay, if I could have my favorite park, what would it be? Yeah, right. So those are the those are the things that I would say. Get ready to start investing in some some properties because the there's there's stuff that's going to happen pretty soon. Yeah, and there's sellers like this is something I tell my my acquisitions team all the time. You know, you're just a, a day away from getting a phone call like. People say they, they don't want to sell, but then life happens, right? Life yeah. events happen and then things become more urgent. And I think, yeah. you know, over, it, it, like my, my strategy is a long-term, you know, compounding benefit, right? I'm going to own yeah. these things 20, 30 years. And I think if you have that model, you know, looking at the next 12 to 24 months and saying, oh, you know, we're pencils down, you know, we can't get deals to, to pencil out. 
is just it's too short term. You know, if you're looking yeah. to buy something, fix it up and flip it, you know, maybe that's, you know, right. not a good time. But for a long term approach, you know, interest rates really they're going to go up, they're going to go down, like it, it's going to yeah. happen. So just expecting that and, and over the long term, you're going to be just fine. Um, yeah. So that was uh, good. Look, you, you know, you talk about high interest rates. You know, my father started investing in 1980 in uh, that town, Englewood, Florida, and interest rates were 16 and 18 percent in Jeez. 1980. And yeah. and he still invested, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of investors still made money on those properties they were buying at 18 percent. So if the strategy is 10, 20, 30 year holds, whatever, you know, you're not going to yeah. stay in the loan that long. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to stay yeah. in the property. Massive mind shift for a lot of people. Huge, huge mind shift right there. That's huge. Yeah. What's the biggest threat? You know, if we're playing devil's advocate here, what's, what's uh, the biggest threat to mobile home park investing right now? Insurance costs. You know, they're just astronomically bad and getting worse in certain communities, certain states, because, you know, California, they're leaving. Uh, the major name carriers are taking off. Uh, Florida, same thing. Last year, I saw a bunch of exits from the state from, gosh, was it uh, carriers and uh, just all the name insurers are leaving because they just don't want to pay up. The ones that are staying, the smaller carriers that you know, may not pay out on your, you know, $2 million claim if a tornado or a hurricane hits. They're just going to charge astronomical amounts more than what you've proformed. Astronomical. So how do you, you know, how do you take a park where it's been paying $11,000 a year and suddenly you wake up with a bill for $45,000? Because it's happened. It happens wow. every day right now. And it's tough to tough to make those things work. I think that's a major problem. That is a, a major problem. Yeah. We don't own any in, in Florida, but you know, we have looked and that's just such an interesting dynamic. I know a lot of multifamily, you know, apartment complexes have seen astronomical increases in their insurance costs, yeah. but from a mobile home park perspective, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you're not insuring the homes themselves and you're, you don't have a lot of buildings, you know, what, what is causing the pricing to increase so much, you know, on your, on your policies? Well, what's causing it, I would say greed more than anything, because they can, you know, if an insurance company says, Hey, you know, we want to triple our, our premium. Okay. They can. Yeah, they can. That's interesting. Yeah. We haven't seen that. You know, in, in the policies that we own, there hasn't been like mm -hmm. an astronomical increase because, again, there's not a lot of property that we're insuring. We're not insuring yeah. buildings and apartments and, right. you know, things like that. We're just insuring the infrastructure, you know, the utility yeah. infrastructure. And and that's, uh, yeah. So, anyways, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Roger, this has been an awesome talk. I'm just super uh, grateful that you took time away from the beautiful Puerto Rico <laughs> beach in the background to, to hang out yeah. with me and hang out with yeah. all the listeners here. Uh, if any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do so, Roger? Yeah, go to my website, rogerking.com and uh, sign up for my newsletter. I send out a newsletter every Thursday and it's uh, the REI Evolution newsletter. And really it's designed for investors who want to just understand what's going on. They want to understand the different factors of, you know, 
property. Uh, they want to understand tax implications. They want to understand wealth growth. Uh, you know, just a whole host of things every week, and it's a uh, it's all curated. And uh, I think that I'm really excited. We just actually launched it last week, so episode two comes out today or addition to, I don't even know what I'm calling it. So rogerking.com is the best way. And you can find me on all of the social media handles, of course, which I think you'll probably put in the, the show the notes. Show notes. Yep. Yeah. We'll make sure to do that. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Andrew, yeah. it's been a pleasure for me. Like great questions. And I, and I love the focus on the mobile home parks and the passive investor. So thanks for Thank uh, inviting me into the, to the community. Totally. To piggyback on that, if you had one last bit of information, one last bit of important advice that you would give an interested passive investor before we sign off, what would that be? You have to get into this particular sector. I think it is a high growth sector over the next couple of decades. Affordable housing is not going anywhere. It is except up in terms of growth. We have to have homes for people that can't afford you know, the $3,000 a month apartment building, you know, they are apartment uh, unit. So a uh, $700 to $1,000 unit, I think that's a sweet spot for a lot of people in our country. And so figure out how to do it and get it done. I love that so much. I was at the gym <laughs> a couple of days ago and there was a guy getting out of his car and it was like a gorgeous Rolls Royce. I mean, like the fanciest yeah. Rolls Royce I've ever seen. And it was an older gentleman. And I said, you know, hey, sir, you know, sorry to bother you, you know, but what, 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 what should I be doing to be able to buy one of these someday? Yeah. And, uh, he thinks a second and he looks back at me and he goes, take lots of chances, kid. And he gives me like a salute and he walks off and it was just like exactly what you were just saying. You got to jump in. You got to take a chance. You got to get in a deal, right? Even if you're a passive investor investing and you're just putting money in with another investor, you'll learn so much and you'll get your foot in the door instead of waiting and having that analysis paralysis where you're just, oh, I'm going to wait and buy my own park. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's two, three years later and you still don't have a deal, you know, jump in with a, with an operator that you, you know, you, you know, like, and trust and, and take the risk. So I love that, Roger. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Right back at you. Right back at you. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today, folks. Remember, please leave a review if you got any value out of this show, wherever you listen to your podcast at. And thanks again for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.